I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. And today is another in my lessons learned series where I talk about sets that I led or co-led uh, and talk about the lessons I learned from doing them. Um, I, I talk about all the time that magic's an iterative process of game design is an iterative process and that you learn, you do things, you get feedback on them, you make changes and you improve. And that um, I like to think that magic design is iterative ongoing. You know, magic's 25 years old uh, and it keeps getting better because we keep learning from what we've done before. Anyway, today we're going to talk about Dominaria. So, um, so Dominaria was one of the more daunting designs I had to do. Um, and the, here's the real reason is early magic, we spent a lot of time in Dominaria. I'm not quite sure why for a game all about you're a planeswalker and there's all these, there's a multiverse of planes. We spent a lot of time on Dominaria early on. Um, in fact, I, I forget the exact number, but 30 some sets, I think were set on Dominaria. Um, and really, you know, early magic was kind of like we, we kept moving around planes on the same, uh, sorry, moving around continents on the same plane. We just kept visiting new parts of Dominaria rather than, like, you know, in, in a modern sensibility, the Ice Age plane and the J Mirage plane and, you know, like, these different places wouldn't all be the same place. That one plane would be the snowy ice world and one would be the hot jungle world and one would be the post-apocalyptic world like the idea that so many of our worlds were all the same world is it, one of the things in general we've learned is we like our worlds of identity we like our worlds to sort of mean something uh and so one of the intimidating things about dominaria was that we knew if we were going to go back we we needed to find a way to sort of bring it up to line with how we do worlds that we wanted to have a universal identity. That this identity couldn't be, it's everything. Everything isn't an identity. If you're everything on some level, you're nothing. Um, and so one of the big challenges was, how do we go back to Dominaria? Now, the reason we wanted to go to Dominaria was, you know, the nostalgia of it. I mean, I, I've been playing Magic since it began. Uh, I have fond memories of Dominaria. Um, I've made many sets that were set on Dominaria. Um, and so I'm like, we understood the draw. Like, there's a lot of just um, history, right? Um, in some ways, Dominaria is more history than any world we've ever made just because we've been there so many times. Um, and the big challenge was how do we encapsulate that in a way that we could... We really wanted to bring it up in, in, into the sort of the modern era of magic, and we wanted it to have a plane that had a definition. And what that means is that if I take a piece of art and I show it to you in a vacuum and say, oh, what, what world is this? That you can go, oh, oh, that's Innistrad. Oh, that's Ravnica. Oh, that's Zendikar. Like, that you would have a sense of where the world is. That it would mechanically have a definition. It would uh, creatively have a definition. Um, and that we really have moved past sort of where we used to be. We're like, oh, whatever, it's just everything. Um, and so that was the challenge. The challenge was... How do we take something that means so many different things to so many different people and, and stamp it with an identity that means something? So that was the challenge we had from exploratory design onward is how do we take so much and boil it down to its essence? What was its essence? What is the essence of Dominaria? Um, 
And we really struggled with that during exploratory design. In fact, uh, well, here's the things we figured out. But mostly what we do when we, we get stuck is we figure out what it is we want so we can start figuring out what we need to do. Number one, um, last time we'd been on Dominaria was Time Spiral Block, which um, was kind of this post-apocalyptic thing. Like, it, it was kind of dreary. And one of the things we found is, well, players liked Time Spiral Block, established players liked Time Spiral Block. Beginners were confused, were quite confused by it. But the, the older players enjoyed it just because of the nostalgia. But the post-apocalyptic thing we did of sort of Everybody's suffering because it's horrible. It's not much fun. Um, it's not that we don't mind having worlds in peril. We have worlds in peril. But it, the, the thing we knew was that, you know, um, we knew one of the things going for it was nostalgia. And we knew that people would be happy to see Dominaria. Like, I knew that when we say Dominaria, people would be excited. Like, oh, I remember Dominaria. I have, I have good memories about Dominaria. And they would be happy. And so what we wanted to do was make a world that was happy. We didn't want to make a world that was, like, depressing. Like, like one of the things I always talk about is you want the emotional state of the gameplay and of your players to match the feel of the world. And the thing about Dominara, I knew when I said to players, okay, after 13 years, I think it was 13 years, after a, a long, long time, we're going back. We're going back to Dominaria. That the players' response would be a, ha- a sense of happiness. Um... And so we knew that the world had to be a generally happy world. We didn't want to do a depressing world. Um, and so what that meant was Dominaria was going to have to sort of rebound from the mini tragedies. Um, so one of the ideas we liked a lot is um, we decided that we wanted to get some identities to what the world was because we needed the world. The world just couldn't be infinite number of things. Um, so one of the things we talked about is being vibrant regrowth that this is a world that's been through a lot, but it keeps bouncing back. We really like the idea that we were coming back to Dominaria for so much time, and it's not like, oh, wow, things got even worse. It's like, oh, things are getting better. Um, and we really like the theme of the Dominaria's been through so much, but you, you can't keep a good plane down. The Dominaria always comes through. Um, and we like that sense of, of it bouncing back. But we also like the sense that what happened on Dominaria happened. We weren't trying to ignore what happened to Dominaria. Um, we wanted to acknowledge that, hey, the things that happened happened, but through that, you know, it rebounded from that. And so another thing we talked about in the world was that you would see remnants of what was. Um, and the reason that was important was once again, there's a lot of nostalgia. You know, we didn't want to say, hey, look at this happy world, and then go, oh, by the way, guess what? It's ra- it's uh, it's Dominaria. Like, we wanted to say, oh, no, this is a world that you recognize because it's the things that happened happened, but it's bounding back from that. Um, and from that, we got the idea of seeing elements of the past, like um, the idea of here's Frexian warships that crashed many, many years ago, and they didn't disappear. They're not part of a landscape. But the world has sort of grown with them. You know, they become part of a landscape. Uh, and we really like the idea that um, Dominaria sort of in- incorporates its past. That, you know, that stuff is still there. Um, 
And so, okay, so we want a world that's rebounding and vibrant. We want a world that kind of acknowledges what happened to it, uh, but sort of lives on from it. And we started to get a theme. Um, and that theme was the idea of, of the past. Of It's a world that keeps, you know, very much rebound. That it's, bad things happen, but it rebounds from them. And that the world kind of knows that it's it's a resilient world. Um, and what if they celebrated that? What if what if they looked to their own past and it was a a, a driver for them? Um, and we like the idea that it was a world shaped. You know, it's a world whose present is shaped by its past. Um, and that's when we start getting the idea of history world. That it's a world in which how do we define this? Well. It has sort of an archaeological quality to it in that many things have happened here. Those things are still part of the world. Players, you know, the people live there and the players interact with it. Um, and the idea that it had sort of a living sense of history. Um, now, one of the challenges of that was, okay, it's a world defined by its history. So we knew what that meant creatively, Creatively, we could show landscapes and you could see the Frexian warship that collapsed. Or we could show people, you know, celebrating their own past. We, we liked the, the one idea we really latched on to is the idea of their art. You know, that these are people who worship their past. So we would see in the present signs of them worshiping their past. Um, whether it be statues or art or whatever, that you would get the sense that these are people that really care. Um... The other thing that we realized was that because we wanted to make a lot of nods to the past, we wanted to have a lot of characters that either existed in the past, because some of our magic characters are magical, so they, they could still be alive, um, and some of them could be descendants, or maybe they, they hold the same mantle, or they're using the same weapon, or, you know, we knew that we could make characters that really were compelling versions of of what things have been. Um, and, and that was the big challenge is, how do we show you history? Um, and so we made a list of all the things that history could be. Now, historically, um, the way we tend to show the past in magic is the graveyard. Um, that, you know, for example, the mechanic flashback, I mean, literally is like an appreciation of the past. Um, and originally, by the way, we were planning to do flashback. Um, one of the goals in the set was we wanted to um, use a mechanic that had started in Dominaria. And that sounded like a really easy task. There's been 30-some sets in Dominaria. Um, but when we wrote on every single um, mechanic that premiered in Dominaria, what we discovered was some of them weren't, just weren't good mechanics. I mean, once again, we're, we're pulling from early magic. Second, we, we just did less mechanics per set back then. Uh, back in the early days, we'd have a block, and there'd be two keyword mechanics that would run through the whole block. So even though we had a lot of sets that took place from Dominaria, there were just less, there were less um, keywords than you would have thought for that, you know. Oh, 30 sets, and, you know, we make a list, it's like, oh, there's like 14 keywords. It's not as much as you would think. Um, and then, some of the keywords sucked. Some of the keywords... Um, just 
one of the things we wanted to bring back and mechanically didn't make sense. So we ended up with three mechanics that were good choices, um, which was flashback, cycling, and kicker, which are three of our staple that we've repeated many times. Um, and flashback was our choice because it's a world about his past. It, it, you know, what, what makes more sense in a world about his past than flashback? Um, the problem, though, was that Amonkhet was both doing cycling and doing a flashback variant. So we ended up doing kicker because uh, the other two were literally in standard at the same time. Um, and so a lot of what we were trying to understand is how to get the history feel. This is how we ended up with... Uh, we decided that the things that mattered were... Um, people from the past, objects from the past, and stories of the past is kind of how we ended up. And we ended up showing people of the past through legendary characters. We ended up showing objects of the past through artifacts. And we ended up showing um, stories of the past. Well, we decided... Originally, we were talking about maybe just doing enchantments. Maybe we could just use enchantments and have enchantments represent the history. And then maybe we thematically tied them together. We ended up coming up with sagas, which is a way to... to um, to do it. And sagas, really what sagas were, it's us saying, um, how do we tell a story in cards? And one of the reasons I was interested in doing that, um, was I knew this was going to be, hey, we're back on Dominaria, it's the 25th anniversary of Magic, and I liked the idea that we had a mechanic from the past that said, we, we admire our past, we care about our past, hey, this set's about the past, but I also wanted something looking forward. I also wanted something that said, um, hey, you know, Magic might be 25 years old, but we're still exploring and discovering new things. I really wanted to make something that said, you know, that sort of put a stake in the ground that said, hey, even though we're 25 years old, we haven't stopped innovating and doing cool new things. And I know we needed to represent stories, and so the idea of Saga was, let's do something bold and cool and different that would um, play up the idea of stories. And I was willing, for, I mean, we talked maybe it would be a new card type, you know, everything was, was up in the air. Um, and so the idea I brought to the team was how do we represent a story? Um, so the thing that ended up happening was um, talking about things from the past coming back. Um, when we'd made. Um, when we made uh, Planeswalkers during uh, Future Sight, the earliest version of the Planeswalker it had this version where um, you had three turns. On turn one, something would happen. On turn two, something would happen. On turn three, something would happen. And then you'd go back. On turn four, something uh, one would go off again. It would just get rotating through them. Um, and the reason we didn't like it for the Planeswalkers was it ended up feeling too prescriptive. Like, it felt like the, the Planeswalkers would just do dumb things. Um, the classic example is uh, Garrick at the time was make a 2-2, two, two, I think it was a wolf, make a wolf, uh, step two was copy, for every wolf you have, make a copy, um, and three was all wolves get like plus two, plus two. And the problem was, turn one, make a wolf, and my opponent bolts the wolf. Turn two, well, I, I don't have any wolves, so copy the wolves doesn't do anything. Turn three, all wolves get bigger, I don't have any wolves, so it doesn't do anything. And, and you just felt like, Wow, this Garrick's an idiot. What is he doing? Um, and it made them feel kind of robotic and like they didn't have a... It, it kept them from having agency. Um, and we later decided, obviously, was... Well, what if we, we give you options 
and we give you things that can build towards something. So you have the opportunity to, to have a plan to try to build toward it. But if that doesn't work out, you have other options. The, the planeswalker doesn't just do dumb stuff. Um, but we were trying to figure out stories. Um, the idea of being prescriptive in an order was kind of cool. <laughs> um, and so we, we ended up making a bunch of different choices. We ended up having the effect happen uh, at, at end of turn. So it happened the turn you played it. Um, well, actually, sorry. It ended up not at end of turn. It happened that when you played it and then at the beginning of every, uh, at, at the beginning of turns, it would happen again. Um, but anyway, the saga was us trying to, because I was really interested in making sure something was kind of new and different, that was me and my team pushing in that space. Um, I really, really like how Sagas came out. Um, I like how the frame came out. Um, James, who does our frames, um, one of the ideas when we first pitched it to him was the idea of it looking kind of like a, a game board where there's a track that kind of just ran through the art and the art was created in such a way that there was space for it. Um, but James was the one that came up with the idea of the vertical slice and that we could... Um, we could sort of, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was, originally the idea was we'd have icons, so it, it, would, it would look kind of like a, a game board, and then there'd be squares that you moved along, and there'd be an icon in certain squares, and you look below, and the icon would tell you what it did. Um, and we really, really liked the idea that we could save um, text by having the same effect happen on multiple turns. And then James figured out that if we sort of make it vertical, we could put chapters on. So we could write something and tell you how, what what chapters happen when. Um, and use the chapters to make it feel more like you're telling a story. Um, and then the vertical art, the creative team, we had talked about a lot early on about the idea of showing Dominaria through its art. That had been a theme we talked about. And the creative team took that and, and used it for the sagas and said, okay, the sagas are vertical. They're going to represent different kinds of art. Um, and, then, and one of the cool things was every card uh, determined a different kind of art. The, the, each one was a different civilization and a different style of art. Oh, it's the Benelish. Well, the Benelish, they would have stained glass windows. Oh, it's the Frexins. They would have blood scripture. You're like, they, they, each of the ones, they went and found how that group, what, what kind of um, history that group would do. And, and all the sagas ended up looking really different. Um, and I was really happy. I, I, I think sagas... Um, really demonstrated how when you have a clean and clear idea um, like one of the things that I think is important one of the things that vision design is kind of responsible for is it's not that I look other teams are going to come and tweak and finalize the, the version of sagas we handed over were not the finalized versions of sagas for example our versions let you pay mana to advance the story beyond just being time. Um, and that ended up feeling unnecessary, got taken out. But the thing we do do is convey what it represents. We are telling a story. It represents a story. Um, and that that really carried through. That, that everybody from the creative team to James doing the frames to us doing the mechanics was, okay, there's a singular vision. These cards represent the telling of a story. Um... And, and, and one of the things that, uh, I mean, it just, 
it was one of the things that I really appreciate, and like I said, one of the lessons of Dominari is how important the cleanliness of the concept is. Because um, one of the big successes of of Sagas, in my mind, was because what we wanted from them was so laser-focused, it allowed everybody to really maximize what they were doing to make something that ended up just being super clean. Um, and that one of the cool things is, like, sagas were so popular that it's just something with, like, now it's like, it's not a matter of would sagas come back. Of course they'll come back. It's where, when. Um, and the idea of stories is actually quite interesting. Because, um, well, Dominaria probably has the most stories. Um, there's other worlds that have stories, and especially because we've revisited, you know, we revisit worlds. You know, like, like one of the things that's really cool about um, what we were able to do with the sagas is, um, and, and this is one of the things that I liked about the history theme in general for Dominaria, was that a lot of the history that Dominaria had wasn't just the plane, it was the game itself. That when I say Dominaria's history, I, I also mean within the game. Like, hey, I remember playing Alpha, Antiquities, Ice Age, The Dark, Fawn Empires, you know, Mirage. It, it just goes on and on. I remember, I remember playing these worlds. I remember being there. And so when you tell me a story, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember that story. It's not like you're making up a brand new story. You're telling me a story that I, in some way, participated in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when that happened. I remember when, when I lived through that story. Um, and so the, the other thing that I, I like so much is that it really sort of... Um, the, the story element was so potent because the stories we got to tell were within game stories to a certain extent. Some of them were external. I mean, a few of them were were, were, were from stuff like books and things. But um, a lot of them came from the sets themselves. And like, oh, yeah. Oh, this reference is that. Uh, and, and, and that is definitely cool. And it, it's sort of a neat thing of... Um, I like the idea that the past shaped the world. But the past kind of shapes the game, too. Um, and I knew that we were going to have a lot of... Easter eggs and stuff in the set that one of the things the set really lent itself to do was look there's lots of things that we can reference because we've been there so many times and um, you know just like history made a lot of sense because not only would the world be peppered with history the game pieces would be peppered with history and I think that was definitely you know um, but whenever the act of playing and the act of living in the world have some sort of correlation. Um, that was very cool to me, and that was something that we executed well that I was very happy with. Um, the, uh, the legendary theme I, I was quite excited by. Um, I liked how we pushed it. I liked how we made conscious choices to push it down to, to, to uncommon. Um, and I know that Dave definitely ramped up some of the complexity of Uncommon to make the legendary creatures feel like legendary creatures. We experimented with simplifying them a little bit, uh, and Dave sort of notched them back up a little bit to make them feel legendary. Um, and that taught us, by the way, like, one of the things we learned from Dominaria is, going forward, is I think in our quest of New World Order and just simplifying things, that the whole idea of New World Order was we were trying to simplify common. 
um, because we wanted to make sure that the majority of cards new players play with is accessible. Um, but I think what happened over time was a little bit of that rubbed off in other rarities and that um, we ended up making Uncommon a little simpler than we needed to. And that part of what Dominari reminded us is the proper deployment of complexity is important. Yes, we want to make sure our commons are clean and simple, but you know what? Our uncommons, hey, you know, when we can be flavorful, when we can really be evocative, that that has power. That part of what makes the game attractive is that there are things that are really representative and really ooze flavor. And legendary creatures are one of those things. And that it really sort of said to us, you know, we can we can have, A, a little bit more complexity and uncommon, and we can have more things that play, like, legendary creatures, obviously with Commander, there's a lot of, of desire for legendary creatures. And so we tried something in Dominaria that was really intended to be a Dominarian thing because we were playing into the theme of Dominaria. Um, but it actually ended up being something that um, we're going, going forward, it really is affecting how we're doing things. Like, the idea of legendary creatures is just on the table. I'm not saying that every set will use legendary uncommons, but we can. It's now thought of as a tool that we have access to, not something that's a rarity that you only do on rare occasions. It's something that we have access to. And that was a big lesson of Dominaria. Um, so Historic was, uh, a lot of ways, the most challenging of the mechanics that I did. Uh, if you listen to my podcast on the making of Dominaria, or I wrote an article about this, um, I had to fight tooth and nail for Historic. And Historic was me trying to find a way to make things matter. Uh, and the big lesson of Historic is this, is... Um, any, um, during uh, Battle for Zendikar, we made Devoid. Now, Devoid wasn't intended to be a keyboard mechanic, and there's mechanical reasons it ended up, but one of the very disappointing things about Devoid, I think, for players was it was a word, and like, okay, it's a word. It's it's a mechanic. What does it do? And the answer was, well, it doesn't do anything. It just is. It is. It's a state. It's just telling you that the cards have a quality to them. And that other cards care. There's a lot of cards that care about this quality, so it's important they have this quality. But these cards don't specifically do anything. And um, that was not well received. Um, and what I found was... Like, one of, one of our problems that we're dealing with in general, because Magic is 25 years old, is anything that is in a Magic set that you could care about, pretty much we've cared about. Like, oh, well, the cards are different colors. Yeah, we've cared about colors. Cards are different card types. Yeah, we've cared about all the different card types. Cards are, you know, creatively can represent different things. Different creature types. Yeah, we've cared about creature types. Um... You know, and, and that we, you start to get to the pot, spot where either there are things we can't care about in Black Border. I can't care about names. I can't care about um, watermarks. I can't care about uh, expansion symbols. There's some stuff I'm not allowed to care about. But the things I can care about, mostly I've cared about them. You know, we've, we've done that. Um, and so one of the problems we're running into is, like, I experimented, or, well, one of the things I wanted to experiment with was the idea of, could we have markers? Could we have things that just say, hey, um, I'm a new thing to care about? You know, like one of the things that we first talked about with historic is, well, what if I just say things are are historic 
you know, it's just a, like, hey, some things represent history, and we're just going to mark things to represent history. Um, we got into two problems. One was the marker problem of, well, I don't get it. Why is this here? And, like, what well, we're going to refer to it isn't enough for people. And the second is, any marker we do in a world, like, it was the tribal problem that we ran into a little bit, which was, oh, well, once we say that any non-creature that has a flavor of a creature type needs to be the creature type, it just starts going all over the place. And if it didn't matter enough, it just was adding a lot of words for not a lot of meaning. And so one the problem of saying, well, this is historic in the sense that it, it it's a card that represents history. Well, every set has cards that represent history. Why, why, why are those cards historic, you know? And so it, we were getting in trouble and I'm like, okay, how is it that we can how do we care? How do we make history a theme, um, but not in a way that feels like it's an artificial thing? Um, so we talked a bit about, well, what are historic things? What represent? And once again, we got to the people, places, and stories, right? I mean, the people aside, the people, the people, the things, and the stories, the objects, the people, objects, and stories. Um, and we we liked the idea that they represented, you know, there were legendary creatures, there were artifacts. Um, some of which were legendary, and there were um, the stories, which ended up being the sagas. Um, and I think Aaron was the one that suggested, well, what if we just care about those things? Um, and at first I was like, oh, okay. Um, okay, well, what if we just say, okay, I care about artifacts. Originally it was artifacts and legendary things because um, sagas were legendary originally. Uh, and the problem we ran into was that every time we tried to do it, people were like, I don't, why, why these two things? Um, and we would put a, we, we, we were using um, an ability word, but what we found was people were glossing over the ability word. That if I put historic up front, I go historic, and then I mention artifacts and um, legendary, that people just, some why these things? I don't know why these things go together. That people were not reading the ability word. It just wasn't, it wasn't going, hey, it's this. That it wasn't communicating the flavor. Um, so we tried a bunch of things. One of the things I tried, and uh, Dave Humphreys um, was uh, in charge of Dominaria. I, I think Eric did the beginning part of the pass over to Dave. Um, but when I was talking, it was Dave who was in charge, who was leading um, Vision. And um, one of the things that Dave had issues with was that um, I was interested in having a third thing because I one of the things about psychology is I'm very interested in how people treat bits of information and it turns out that you treat three things differently than two things um, that when you want something to feel like a group three things feel like a group and two don't uh, and, and it just the human brain um, and so I had wanted to add a third thing and I talked with Dave and Dave said that he wouldn't mind Sagas not being legendary um, because it just was People weren't thinking it was being legendary, and it was just—it was causing some problems. And from a gameplay standpoint, he said—he said he'd rather them not be legendary. So, okay, well, what if I—I I make it the third thing to care about? Uh, and I tried that, and it helped a little bit. Um, but I'm still running to the same basic problem: was that people were—people have kind of been trained. Oh, ability word is in italic. Whatever, I can—I can move on. And they would just get to the, the meat of the sentence and read it, and just not get what these things had in common. So I said, okay, let, let me try something different. 
Because um, what was going on at the time was I was basically told by Bill that I had an amount of time to, to fix the problem or they were coming out. Um, so I was, I was under the wire to try to fix it. So the idea that I came across was what if I use a word in the rules text and then at the end I'll explain what that word means. Um, and what it, what it and that historic was the word I wanted to use. And the idea was instead of saying uh, whenever you cast a artifact um, saga or legendary permanent, I would just say whenever you cast a historic spell. Now you couldn't ignore that because it was in the rules text, and it was yeah yeah there was there was italics that came later, um, but you had to read that sentence first. And what happened was. When I gave people a, a word to read that was flavorful, but they didn't know what it meant, instead of going, why are these things together? The question I was now getting is, what's historic? And I would say, keep reading. And they would go back and they would read and they, oh, okay. And sometimes, in fact, they actually read the writing tricks. They, they would see a historic and they go, ooh, what's that? And they would keep reading and go, oh, you know. And the response wasn't, why are these together? The response was, oh, that's cool. And what I realized was they were getting the flavor because I was... So it's what we call batching now. And what batching means is I just collect things together in the, in the rules text and then tell you later, hey, these things that magic has always had, I'm, I'm associating them with something. And these things associate in a way that are flavorful and that then you just go, oh, that's this. Um, and the funny thing is, once again, it's solely... How it's, how it's presented. And this is the important, I think the lesson here is the important presentation. That me making an ability word, saying historic and telling you these things, writing it out, versus me saying historic in the rules text and then in the reminder text telling you what that means, is really not that different. I mean, um, I mean, mechanically the important thing was the way historic was working originally was in order to keep it consistent, it always had to do when you were casting them. There's a cast trigger. But once we had a technology of the, the batching word, it opened us up to do more and different things. So batching also solved a different problem. The funny thing is I was trying to solve one problem and solving one problem, I solved the second problem because them all being cash triggers was causing problems because what you want to do when they're all cash triggers is play lots of cheap things. And legendary things aren't cheap. Legendary things tend to be expensive. Artifacts can be cheap. So it was like this cheap artifact mechanic, not this fun legendary mechanic. Um, and making the change allowed us to change the design. So, like, um, the other lesson is sometimes when you go solve one problem, you can solve other problems. Um, but Historic was a really good example where I believed in the thing I wanted, but the thing I wanted wasn't, prop wasn't being properly done. Like, the reason Bill didn't like the mechanic were real reasons. It wasn't like Bill just didn't see the reason, you know, is there were flaws in the mechanic. Um... And the major flaws were people weren't getting the flavor and it was not playing the way it needed to play. And me going out and trying to find the solution, I ended up finding something that both made it easier to understand and communicated the flavor, um, also made it a little made it a little sexier and different because we hadn't done batching before. And it allowed us the ability to make um, more compelling mechanics. You know, allowed us to fix mechanical problems. Um, and so the, the lesson of historic to me is that, um, you know, 
I like the process that we have. Um, I know I tell stories all the time about how I wanted to do something and people fought me on it and then I had a fight to, to keep it. Um, but historic really made me realize that like the fight's important. Like if we had just gone out with historic as presented from design, that would have been a mistake. That was not the right way to do it. And by sort of pushing me and forcing me to solve problems, I ended up with a much more innovative solution that I think made not just for a better set, but like now it's a tool that I think we can use again. I mean, note that we were sort of waiting to see what you guys thought of batching before we we uh, tried other batching in other places. So it, it's going to take a little bit of time to get you, but we are we now consider it a success, and we're now it's a tool once again, just like Saga's became this interesting uh, tool to us, so so too did Historic. Um, one final note, I actually I just arrived at work, but I, I have one final lesson I want to talk about, which is Kicker. Because um, most of my lessons today are, that worked out well, that was a good thing. Um, Kicker is my one... Uh, I agree with my goals. I like the idea we brought a mechanic back. There really wasn't a lot of choices. I mean, I it's not that I dislike Kicker coming back, but um, Kicker did not organically fit with what the rest of the set was doing. It's why... I mean, I, once again, at the time that I was doing the set, it, I'm a kid of done what I'm a kid of done. There wasn't me changing that. I, I don't know if I should have just done flashback. Like, part of me says, okay, maybe there's just more flashback and standard together at the same time, and... Um, I look back and, and, and Kicker, I mean, not that Kicker was bad, and there was ways we used Kicker. Like, we me we mechanically made Kicker matter and fit the set. Like, Kicker did some important, sort of gave you things to do with your mana and stuff we'd like to have in sets. So, like, it wasn't that Kicker wasn't functional on the set. I just, Kicker was not organic thematically in the set, and th that was the part that, like, looking back, I, I wonder if... I wonder if there was some way... Like, I don't know whether we should have just... I should have fought for flashback or if I should have found some way to or make Arcanic more organic. I, it's the one piece that I look back on and I'm like... Um, I really, really like Dominaria. It is, you know what I'm saying, of sets that I've I've led. It's, it's one of the ones that I, I'm proudest of. Um, but... The, the, one, like, the one lesson of, oh, what, was there a better place... Uh, you know, was there, was there anything we could have done better? Kicker's the one thing where I'm like, uh, I mean, it wasn't bad. It didn't detract from the set. I mean, there's mechanical reasons why it actually worked in the set. Um, but it's the one thing that, that thematically... The set is so nice and so well-crafted and everything so, all pushes in the same direction. And while Kicker does that a little bit from a nostalgic from its mechanic from Dominaria's past, the fact that we had redone it in other places meant that people's association with it wasn't even just Dominaria. We'd use Kicker in other places. You know what I'm saying? We'd use it on Zendikar, for example. Um, and, like, I know why I felt like, like, okay, it was a nostalgic mechanic and it mechanically fit, um, but it didn't organically fit. And that, that's my one, you know, as, as the artiste looking back. I'm like, uh... I, I wish I could have found a way to either make Kicker fit a little bit more with some kind of tiny tweak or maybe fought for flashback. Um, anyway, all in all, I liked Dominaria. I thought Dominaria was a very good set. I'm very proud of Dominaria. Um, most of the lessons from Dominaria are things we are using moving forward of how to make magic even better. Like, some of my lessons are, oh, I did something wrong, learn from that, don't do that again. 
Um, and some of my lessons are, oh, we did something new we hadn't done before. That is a good, valuable lesson. Let's use that again. And Dominari is much more that latter than the first. It's much more like, oh, this worked, this worked, this worked. Oh, okay, Sagas, maybe that's a tool we can use again. Batching, that's a tool we can use again. Um, legendary Uncommons and the way we, we use the legendary theme, that was something we can, we can harness again. You know, that, 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 that most of what Dominari was is me saying, oh, we did things right We've learned from them. We have no new tools in our arsenal we can use. And there weren't a lot of like, oh, we messed that up. Um, oh, the one other lesson real quickly. Sorry, as I'm sitting here. Is uh, legendary instants and sorcerers. Although I think we only had legendary sorceries. Um, I'm not sure that was a success. I think one of my beliefs looking back now is I don't know if there's a way to do legendary instants and sorceries that is consistent with how legendary works. Like, the nature of what Legendary does and how it works on permanence, you just can't directly apply that to instant sorceries. And I don't know if trying to do that... Um, like, maybe that's a lost cause. I mean, the funny thing is we tried to do it in Vision, gave up on it. Dave tried it again. Dave had a better solution than we had in Vision, but I don't know in the end if that was the right call. Like, I... it. It just felt disconnected and, and kind of like, I don't know whether we were supposed to give it a different name and not call it legendary and say, you know, it's something that's connected but not exactly legendary because it didn't work like legendary things work. Um, so anyway, that, that the kicker and, and legendary spells were my two sort of, there could have been ways to improve upon them. Um, but most of all, I think Dominar is a huge success. And so lesson learned, uh, do things like that. <laughs> so anyway, um... I am at work. So we all know what that means. Um, it means uh, instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I'll uh, see you guys next time. Bye-bye.